Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures in relation to Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Kingdom of God is essentially something of the future in the teaching of Jesus. Now, it certainly has meaning for the present as we prepare for that Kingdom in the future. We may occasionally find texts which say that the Kingdom is the group of people, the Church, in fact, in training for the future kingdom. But the primary and explicit meaning of the kingdom of God has to do with that final and decisive once and for all intervention by God in the future known as the day of the Lord and predicted by all the prophets of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible, in fact, is filled with pictures of the coming kingdom beyond the day of the Lord, beyond the intervention by which God will establish power and control over the earth again by sending His Son an agent, the Messiah, to rule on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, a very false dichotomy has been set up in certain theological circles between what is universal and what is national. The fact is that the gospel of the kingdom implies the kingdom which is both national and universal. That's exactly the sort of kingdom we find in the Hebrew Bible. It's a kingdom which is to be based in Jerusalem, and it involves the restoration of the throne to David. And that throne of David is the rightful throne of Jesus as the famous descendant of David, the Messiah. It's false, therefore, to say that the kingdom of God must be either universal or national. It is both national and it will be universal at the same time. It will have its center in Israel, but its beneficial effects will spread to the far reaches of the globe tendency of a lot of Christian scholarship has been to minimize the Jewishness of Jesus' vision of the kingdom. And we're often told that Jesus had no interest in a political kingdom. Now that is a dangerous half-truth. It's true that Jesus did nothing to establish a political kingdom at his first coming. But to say that Jesus had no interest in politics is to deform the idea of Messiah entirely. It's also popular and taken for granted without careful consideration to say that Jesus had no military ambition and no aims to establish a kingdom with power and force. Now, that's certainly true in terms of his absolute refusal to disturb the Roman government by making a political coup. But it's most misleading to say that Jesus will never be a military or warrior messiah. The Hebrew Bible is filled with descriptions of the coming intervention by which God sends his Messiah to establish the kingdom by force. And the book of Revelation in the New Testament, of course, is almost entirely dedicated to that theme. The fact is that the kingdom of God is to be both spiritual and political, both national and universal. The New Testament presents a Jesus who is apocalyptic and a prophet at the same time, and he's a prophet of the restoration of Israel in accordance with the promises made in the Hebrew Bible. Our New Testament documents are cut from the same cloth as the surrounding Jewish documents which have survived. Jesus is a Jew preaching and teaching and living out many of the themes which he held in common with his Jewish contemporaries. The great difference, of course, was that he claimed to be the Messiah, and many of his compatriots did not accept that claim. But both Jesus and his colleagues in Israel 
were looking forward to God's intervention to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That territorial kingdom of the future cannot and must not be removed from the teaching of Jesus. The reward of heaven when you die disturbs and distorts the messianic hope in a very serious way. A remedy for this is for us to resonate with understanding and with joy at Jesus' famous statement that the meek are going to inherit the earth. That text should be enough to re-establish biblical messianism and to put Jesus back in his Jewish environment. After all, he's merely quoting from Psalm 37 and verse 11 when he said that the meek were going to have the earth or the land of Israel as their inheritance. That's a very Jewish hope, but it's also the Christian hope because it's the hope espoused and taught by Jesus himself. No less than six times in Psalm 37 there is the promise that the righteous are going to inherit the earth and dwell in it forever. How very different that is from popular notions about disappearing to realms beyond the sky to some kind of super-celestial home in regions far removed from this planet. That's absolutely foreign to the Hebrew Bible as well as to the New Testament, which is based on the Hebrew Bible. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. I like the words of a contemporary writer in regard to this issue of immortal souls disappearing to heaven. When we die, he says, we lose everything, body, soul, spirit, the works. I've always considered the importation into Christianity of the Greek notion of an immortal soul to be a menace to the gospel and a theological pain in the neck. When we rise, we are raised up with the whole package restored in a resurrection of the body. God apparently doesn't take as dim a view of the flesh as some of us do. That vivid quotation was from a book called The Astonished Heart by Robert Farrar Capon. The same author on another occasion said that the idea that John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave while his soul goes marching on is absolutely fatal to our understanding of the gospel. There's no immortal soul, no part of man, no divine spark residing in him which cannot die. No, man dies, the whole man dies, and the whole man will be resurrected to life in the future at the time when Jesus comes to restore the kingdom and set it up on the earth. If we imagine that man is a bipartite creature consisting of an immortal soul dwelling in a mortal body, we miss the whole point and purpose of the resurrection. In fact, the point and purpose of our Christian faith has been largely buried under a mass of theological tradition. There's a general agreement amongst Christians only about the ethical demands of the present Christian life, uh, the fact that a Christian must love and serve his neighbor, but almost nothing seems to be known, at least in many church circles, of the ultimate purpose and goal which Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, intended for those who follow him. It seems that contemporary religion, which claims the name of Christ, has abandoned the purpose of the faith, which is clearly spelled out by Jesus in his gospel of the kingdom message, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke 4.43 that it was his whole ambition and purpose, it was God's design for him that he be a preacher and herald of the kingdom of God gospel, Luke 4 verse 43. Now in the purpose of the faith as proclaimed by Jesus in his gospel of the kingdom, there lies the very reason for our existence as individuals. The key to our personal future, as well as that of humanity and the world at large, 
is found in Jesus' gospel message about the kingdom of God. This is simply the message of the good news that God, in the person of his Son and agent, the Christ, the promised Messiah, intends to establish just government and universal peace on earth and to grant immortality to those who love and follow Jesus now and believe in his teachings. The future of the earth and of the whole universe is related to the future of the individual believer in this way. The kingdom of God, which will be established on earth when Jesus returns to the earth, will be administered by those to whom God grants immortality. Now, this scheme, implied by the good news of the kingdom, is the very opposite of complex. It's the very essence of simplicity. The mind of a child is required to grasp it. Jesus said, unless you reorientate your life and repent and become like little children, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. He urged us to accept the message of the kingdom like little children. If we didn't accept it as children, we wouldn't enter the kingdom when it came. Now, to understand the Christian message, words must be taken as any child would take them in their natural and normal sense. Now, I admit, of course, that there are complex things in the Bible and things which require a great deal of understanding and study, but the essence of the message of the gospel was designed to be for all. It is not complicated once we read and understand Jesus in his first century Jewish-Palestinian environment and don't try to lift him out of his context and turn him into some 20th century American. Now, to understand the message, words must be taken as a child would take them in their natural and normal sense. The kingdom of God about which Jesus spoke constantly is a real kingdom. It's to be a real kingdom, a divine revolutionary government on earth. It's going to be administered by Christ and the saints. That's the constant theme of Scripture both in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. The kingdom of God is going to have a renewed Jerusalem as its capital. We find this in Luke 19 and verse 11. This text, Luke 19:11 and following, should be taken as a key to the whole New Testament. We read there in Luke 19:11 that because Jesus was near to Jerusalem, that's the Jerusalem in Israel, geographical Jerusalem, because he was standing near to Jerusalem, they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Well, of course, that's what the kingdom of God was supposed to be, an empire founded upon Jerusalem. And so they naturally thought, that's to say the disciples and Jesus' audience, those who followed him round as he preached in Galilee and in Jerusalem, imagined that because he was in the proximity of the capital of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, this verse gives us the clue to the meaning of the principal theme of all that Jesus taught. He was expecting, as were his audiences, to establish the kingdom as a worldwide rule on earth. Now, I hope that you will not find me too harsh if I venture the idea that much of what goes by the name of theology is nothing more than an exercise in the evasion of the plain meaning of words an excuse for unbelief. Many churches have abandoned hope in the kingdom of God, which Jesus promised. The one that he promised would be inaugurated at his return. Many churches, in fact, don't seem even to believe in the return of Jesus as a real event of the future. It's obvious that the kingdom of which the prophets of Israel 
and John the Baptist and Jesus and all the apostles spoke has not yet been established, but it will be manifested according to the Bible on the earth at the second coming of the Messiah in power and glory. That's why Jesus urged us to pray as our first priority, Thy kingdom come. And that petition, incidentally, Thy kingdom come, was reflected in the Jewish synagogue of Jesus' time. There was a prayer very similar to the prayer, Thy kingdom come, being recited by Jews contemporary with Jesus. One of the important prayers of the synagogue was a prayer that God would magnify his name and bring his kingdom on the earth speedily in the lifetime of those who prayed. Jesus reflects that Jewish background perfectly when he prays, Thy kingdom come. Now, in answer to the very reasonable question as to what his followers might expect to receive in the coming age of the kingdom, Jesus promised the disciples positions of rulership with him in the coming kingdom. You'll find that in Matthew 19, verse 28, and Luke 22, verse 28. Our time is running out for today. I have written a book on this issue of the kingdom of God entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. I would invite you to telephone us at the telephone number to be given at the end of the program. We'd be happy to send you a copy for your own personal Bible study at home. We go through the various kingdom texts and show that the kingdom of God is a Jewish idea which makes perfect sense in the Jewish environment in which Jesus taught. Remember always that Jesus himself was a Jew. We invite you to join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.